innovation is about pushing through the hard points that other people did not. And that's kind of like that the generation execution is the execution piece. And so if you can really push past these points that are that are hard, that, will, that, that that's probably the most fruitful um, innovation you, you can get to because other people didn't want to go that far. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with the mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Greg Santoro. He earned his BA in economics at Yale University. Then after working in strategy consulting for two years, Greg started his career in construction, working in a technology incubator at Stanley Black & Decker. He then moved on to co-founding Dato and now serves as head of product over there. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So what about construction inspired you to, to make the move into the, the context space? Well, I think there was, um, so for a little context, I was with, I used to work at DeWalt and I was in their tech incubator. And so I, my first introduction to construction was on job sites, working with like hardware solutions, Wi-Fi and IT solutions on job sites. And I okay. think I just realized there was, um, which is now heavily reported on like a lack of digitization. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is this is really cool. My my grandfather was a plumber, so I have like some familiarity with with construction from that as well. And I I was kind of interested to to see um, what would come of it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a, a lot of uh, change and disruption in that area over the last few years. Yeah, the, hopefully, more to come. Digital front. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, really want to sit on innovation a lot, uh, which is uh, you know super far off topic for us that we talk about every single episode, <laughs> uh, but one. you have a cool vantage point on it. So I want to kind of pick your brain on all things innovation for this episode. Great. Uh, let's start with uh, how does the process really look like for you for generating and then really executing on new innovative ideas? Yes. And I think that that's actually, it's a very good distinction because um, you know, when, when you talk about innovation, I think it is both those pieces, the generation and the execution. And for me personally, I think the, the, ex the execution side is, is really important because um, you could have a great idea, but you might not execute on it. So to your question, what is a, what does the process um, look like for me? I'll just give like an example from, from Dato, you know, where, where I currently work. So I think we, we approach innovation and with like kind of three different tactics. So one is really focusing on the problem. And so we really truly try to understand what the specific pains are and create solutions to address those pains and then continually iterate because you probably don't solve the pain at first to figure out really, are we solving this issue? And that kind of helps. It's kind of your generating and executing at the same time. I think it's the second tool we use is having diverse perspectives. So, and I, I kind of think about this in two parts. One is you want to make sure you have multiple people involved in the brainstorming process. So not just like product people. And I also think it means that um, you have to yourself create a, a big knowledge base. So like I myself um, can't think of all the ideas, but I think it's really useful to look at other industries to say, well, how are they applying a certain technology? Like take, for example, digital twins. And then if you increase your knowledge base then you'll have a diverse perspective to bring to the team. 
Mm-hmm. And then the last tactic I think is really important is storytelling. So, you know, I think a lot of people like to write out product specs with like bullet points and here's a problem we're going to solve by doing this. And I think it's hard to get the whole team involved um, by just having bullet points and providing a story of like, this is what the user customer is experiencing. It, it helps everyone engage and fully understand and empathize with the problem. And then that enables them to think of solutions. Cause a lot of times, you know, I'm, you were not one person is going to come up with a solution. Um, multiple people will and enabling them to think about the problem, just like you are, can really facilitate both the generation and execution of, of, of ideas. Yeah. There's so much just packed into that. <laughs> uh, I was feverishly writing. I'm, <laughs> uh, so let's dive in on the, the iteration yeah. part of it first. Uh, so I, how do you develop then this space to try new things? I, I and mainly come coming from a couple different vantage points on that. One, how do you develop the build in the time to sit with a, a blank sheet to just ideate? And then how do you build in the mentality that it's okay to try new things? We'll take a recent example. A feature we're working on currently is, is forms. It's basically digitizing forms for, for contractors today. So that could be a work order, um, a daily report, et cetera. And a number of people are doing this today, but a number of our customers want that type of digitization, but also want it um, in a searchable format so that huh. when they have an issue in the future where someone's like, hey, you messed this up. There was a leaky pipe and you didn't tell us about it. They're like, yeah, we did. It's right here they can find that really quickly um, in, in a discussion. And so I think the, the problem was, okay, I need to digitize these forms and I wanna have them in the searchable data. I wanna have them searchable like in data. And I think we've built into our process, like focusing on like, what is the precise workflow? And then we are literally, like I'm on Zoom with engineering and we're literally drawing um, all the potential solutions of like, what is the workflow for this? So I think for us, to your first question, how do you build the space? Is it's like literally a part of our process of like, don't like consider what's there today, but also think about the entire flow and how are you gonna execute on it? So for us, it's built into the process, creating that, 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 that generation of new ideas. And everyone is involved in that process of sketching and thinking of, 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 of ideas. Um, it's actually something when, you know, Jake and I, Jake, Jake, CEO of Dato, did the incubation to come up with the idea for Dato. It was very much founded on design principles where we, I mean, we created, I think, 100 plus prototypes. It was just people just brainstorming all, all the time. So I think it's just kind of part of our, part of our process. Yeah. Um, and to, to the second part of your question, I think it has to do with the concept of, of failure. I think people are afraid to go outside of their swim lanes a lot of times because yeah. it's comfortable to be in your swim lane. You know what you're doing, you know how to do it. I think, I think honestly what I try to do is um, I work with, um, so Ryan, he's CTO at Dato to try to really create a process where we encourage people to propose ideas. I think a lot of times there's like a structural hierarchy in a company and people will be afraid to kind of propose someone to, to uh, propose an idea to someone else because there's like a power dynamic. I think yeah. we really try to create a process that is like, we want ideas generated. That's like, that's a part of your job. We want you to propose these things. So, um, and we, we it's okay if it's not 100% right. So I think, like, I'll give you an example. 
Um, on our side, you know, working with design, a lot of times design really wants like a beautiful design and wants to make sure it's like right from the get-go. I think I like constantly will iterate every single, will reiterate every single day, hey, this is, we're really going to focus on functionality. We're really trying to focus on the solution here. And basically we try to encourage every day through all of our interactions, the idea that it's okay to fail. Failure is a part of innovation. Ultimately, you want to get to a success. There's going to be failure along the way. And I guess it's, it's just reiterating every single day that this is a part of the process. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It ties in, I think, to one of the other aspects that you were mentioning earlier with the different vantage points and getting that, that different perspective. I, I loved how you tied it to even on an individual level of making sure that you're well-rounded and getting uh, diverse inputs coming in. So like read different areas, you know, different sources, contradictory sources too. I think that's a, a, a practice that very few people actually <laughs> do and, and put into place. We, we tend to just read stuff that we enjoy and that we kind of already agree with to begin with and uh, reading something that, that challenges your concept and your, your thought process, I think goes a long way. Yeah, I have like, I set up a few channels in, in our in our Slack, which is Slack's the messaging system for, for anyone who, who doesn't know, where we'll post articles um, or post product ideas. And then there'll be, you know, a 50 plus message thread of like thinking about, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? So I think, yeah. I think bringing to the table these different um, concepts from different industries or just ideas you come up with and facilitating a medium by which you can you can freely discuss things is, is what we try to do at Dato. And, and it really, it comes up with some really good ideas sometimes. It, it also generates a lot of excitement, which is, which is also really important um, for, for, I think, innovation where you have to really be motivated to, to solve this, this issue. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's cool too that you guys tie that to the storytelling aspect of it and tie innovation into to storytelling. And you, you had a really interesting line that it by telling the story, it allows other people to think about the other solutions that you didn't by kind of bringing in that relatability aspect of it too, that I thought that was a, a cool perspective of it. Yeah, I know. I know. I've, uh, cause I, you're a big fan of storytelling. I know. Cause yeah. you on, uh, on the CPC. Yeah, it was <laughs> my my radar went up. I uh, <laughs> I love it. That was great. Uh, so bringing in pain points as part of the the story element, you got to explain kind of the the, the problem and, and set up what, uh, what you know what's the potential risk that, that somebody has in this adventure. What are some of the the pain points in innovating that people should be aware of when they're going down this process? I'll give kind of a, a general statement to that at first, which is, so for me, innovation, you, you can't have innovation without, without failure. And I think a pain point a lot of people experience is that you're going to experience some multiple p- 
points of failure along the way. And I think what's important to, to, to realize is there are probably other people who are going through that too. And probably for the same exact idea that you're kind of thinking about. And a lot of times innovation is about pushing through the hard points that other people did not. And that's kind of like that Mm. generation execution. This is the Mm. execution piece. And so if you can really push past these points that are, that are hard, that will, that, that, that's probably the most fruitful um, innovation you you can get to because other people didn't want to go that far. So um, I guess to your question of like, how do people deal with those hard points? I think what's, what's helpful is to think about what am like, I'm going through this for a reason and it's likely because this is, this is probably going to be even more valuable. So it's kind of flipping the failure on its head, which is I'm probably going to get more, more out of this because, because it's even harder than I, than I anticipated. Yeah. So you kind of address it with that last answer, but how would you encourage people to really fail well then? And what does that look like? I mean, it, it kind of ties back to what I was saying earlier, which is I think you need to give, you need to give license to people to iterate and test. And that failure is like a point along the line. It's not, it's not the end point. I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. think about failure as the end point, where Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm presenting this and this is my final draft. It's like, no, people need to think about something as more fluid. And I think, I think it's hard to give something that people poke holes in. I think we try to really encourage the environment on a day-to-day basis of we're going to present things. We're going to present them in a way that iterates quickly on a day-to-day basis, and there are going to be holes poked in this, but it's okay because we're making something um, that's a lot better. I, I guess you know, I, I, I guess what I think back to, I'll give you an example. Um, actually, back to the the founding of Dato. So, um, <clears throat> when we first launched um, the the product, we we had a very limited product. We could only do project drawings, specifications, and submittals um, on our mobile application. And we started mm-hmm. testing the application on a few job sites in Sacramento. And when we launched, there was not good reception of the product. We had issues with connectivity. We had issues with drawings just not showing up. There are a few things. It definitely felt like a failure. I think the interesting piece that comes out of it is, um, and, and this is something actually that, this is, I'll give you an example of something we learned, something that has guided us to this day, is that there was, there was an idea that, um, Jake and I were iterating on with engineering and this, and, and we kind of put this into the application and it turned out to be like one of the most utilized features. And this has to do with, um, like the automation of document administration and relating of documents. So like we went to the job site the first week, no one was really using it. Then I kept on going back week after week and we were making improvements to the product along the way. And then what we realized is the foreman on the site were like using specs and submittals the most in Dato. And that's because the spec is this huge 1200 page document. Submittals are also usually in packages that are hundreds of pages. And they were using it, they were using Dato because they were at the beginning of a project um, and they had to lay it out and order the materials. So they were using Dato to um, basically cut through all the junk in the spec. And uh-huh. they were looking like for the pipe insulation. They would just go just to the pipe insulation in the spec, and then they'd have the related submittal to that pipe insulation, so they would know if it was approved what product they they needed to order. So, I say this to say, when we talk about product development as a company, I think we like to tell these stories of times when we have failed, 
from a from a leadership perspective to encourage other people to realize that there aren't going to be like immediate successes. So I, I guess I I guess to answer your question in short, I would say there are two pieces. One is on a day to day basis, encouraging the fact that people that failure is a part of the process, and then also leading by example by saying, hey, this is the time when I failed, um, but I did kept on pushing through, and then this and this and this happened, and this was the end result, which was positive, and that's like that hopeful piece. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's great. I, I like the failure is not an endpoint; it's the and just an iterative journey. Uh, that it's really not about that that failure outcome. It's about learning things and getting better along the way. Because everybody's, you can always get better, no matter if you have the the world's greatest product or not. There's always something that you can get better at, and so figure out what that is and to keep learning from what you're doing. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think failure leads to a lot of more focus. I think when you when like when we think about it from a product perspective, failure means like we're not serving this unmet need fully. Yeah. But then when you when you put something into a customer's hands, <clears throat> like in, in this example, you really know whether you're solving their need or not, and you you know where you're not solving their need, and so that really helps you think about okay, oh, I need to do this to really solve that problem, and it's 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 a little demoralizing, especially when you have like customers who are using it and like ah. Oh, you know, in, in construction, you know, people typically don't really give things a second chance. So it's kind of high stakes at some point, but yeah. it, it makes you, your company better and the product better. And um, as long as you realize it's not an end point, it's just a, a step along the way. I feel like that, that is what you need to, to be motivated to continue to on this, on this innovation journey. Yeah. You brought up an interesting point there in that I, I think some people take it personally when somebody says, oh, I don't like that feature or I don't think this is going to work. So how do you avoid the, the personal nature of that, of somebody's kind of shutting you down uh, when that's probably not really the case. They, you know, maybe they didn't say it as eloquently as what they, they could have, but right. they're how do you, basically, how do you not take it personally when, when somebody no. says no to your product or, or you failed and you have to try to learn something else? Yeah, that's a really good, that's a very good question. And I, <laughs> I guess it's kind of like innovation in the sense that not everyone's going to be brought on board at once, like to create a culture where you are accepting of iteration is difficult. And you're probably going to have peaks and valley valleys, you know, forever, because it's, it's just always hard to deal with certain types of certain types of failures. So <laughs> kind of fights against human nature. <laughs> it does. It does. I, I think so. I think similar innovation, you you have to be accepting of the fact that it's going to be a process. But um, along the way, if there are wins, I feel like really highlighting those wins. Hey, this is really positive. I think for us, you know, when we we were developing a recent feature, um, it it didn't it didn't come out uh, like there was kind of low usage in the beginning because of a number of of gaps in the, in the product. But I think what we've been trying to express with this feature is. Um, we just came out with another uh, version of it, and now it's um, getting a lot of good reception from customers. Mm-hmm. Is that we 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 brought out this first version, and it really enabled us to have really good conversations with customers because you put something in their hand, and that really made the product even better. So I think we try to highlight along the way, hey, this was actually a win, and that that 
basically you can't always have failure is a very negative word. I think, I think, and, and, and it is, it's kind of demoralizing. I think what you have to do along the way is translate what did this get us by doing this? And so yeah. that's like expressing the positive aspect of this failure and, and what you're um, like, what you're doing going forward. I think always looking towards the future um, is really what failure is about. Although when you think about it, it's kind of, you think about it retrospectively, I think right. if you miss the, what's, what's the future going to look like? That's how it can become a little bit negative. And people take it personally because and when you're looking at something in retrospective, it's saying, oh, you did this, you did this, you did this. And I think when you think about what you're doing in the future, it takes blame off of people. And it's more about how are we, how are we as, as a team going to achieve the goal? And instead of focusing on this is why this happened, it's more about what are we going to do now? Create a common data environment for your team with 360 Sync. 360 Sync automatically transfers, organize, and archives project files across applications. It is the only way to automatically sync project files between your server, Procore, BIM 360, Bluebeam, or any other platform you use. 360 Sync is the only document management system designed by and for the AEC industry. Users have automatically transferred over 1 million files and over 2 million syncs. Set it and forget it. Create a common data environment for your team today using 360 Sync. Visit asti.com slash 360 Sync for more information. Yeah, I think that's spot on with the, the future focus. I really like that. I had it uh, set up that kind of dichotomy in my head about it before, but I like that a lot. And it kind of brings back in that, that storytelling element of it as well, too, that you're, you're really closing the loop by being future focused. It's not being, you know, Pollyanna pie in the sky. It's you're grounding it in, in the direction that you're actually headed. Right. Yeah, you try to. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that kind of direction, what do you think that the future of construction is, is going to look like over the, the next few years here? Big question. Big question. <laughs> um, okay. I think, okay, I think to answer that question, I just want to level set on the context I think we are in as an industry, and then, I, and then I'll answer that. But I think the context yeah. is really important because that's how I think about it. Sure. So, Okay, a few things for the context. One is, I think construction is becoming significantly more complex. So we're building larger, more complex, more technologically advanced buildings. Mm -hmm. These are like multifaceted projects. They probably have millions of components. There are like thousands of decisions that have to be made. And contractors basically have to, are forced to keep up with and figure out how to keep up with the increasing demands from owners of these big buildings. And I think... The reality is that trend is going to continue because there are other global trends. Right? We have we have climate change and construction accounts for a large percent of global emissions, and contractors are going to be asked to build smarter buildings. Uh, actually, what was it yesterday? Um, in California, there was regulation that is being proposed that is going to require all commercial and um, multi um, or high-rise residential buildings to have solar panels installed. So huh. it's just, this, this is going to be happening. It's going to be a trend. Yeah. And, and the requirement is that you're gonna to have to have solar panels and battery storage on site. So there's, there are just gonna be changes. 
In addition to that global trend, we also just have increasing urbanization. So we're gonna have cities that are gonna be built up more, we're gonna have more cities be built, and you're gonna to have to have the in infrastructure built to su support the increasing population of cities. And because, so that, that's kind of the context. Because yeah. that's the world we live in, it's clear that construction is gonna to have to move towards a more streamlined process. And for me, what that means is act more like manufacturing. And so I think prefabrication has become more and more important. Um, now I know a lot of people say that, you know, prefabrication is the next trend, but I guess what I wanna say is, I think that there's a, there's a caveat to it that, that, I would, that I would say, which is the prefabrication technology is kind of there. Like cutting the metal is there, that's there. Right. What I think is not there is technology to enable prefabrication to happen. And that's what I think is the next wave of construction. So um, let, me, uh, let, me, let, let, me, let me give you an example. So the projects are more complex, right? So there's gonna be more information being thrown at contractors and they're gonna to have to figure out how to deal with it. So I think what's going to happen is there's going to be technology developed that enables the exchange of information to be frictionless, frictionless between the stakeholders in construction. So you can't fabricate offsite unless you have the most up-to-date BIM model, the most up-to-date field conditions. And I think we're gonna have software built that enables the frictionless exchange of information, but also like the discovery of new information, like recommendation engines. They'll say, hey, you're fabricating this piece. A change order just got submitted on the part of the building that you're fabricating this piece for, that you should check this out. And I think we're, we're going to see more and more of that. I mean, you already see today companies like Doxel where they take in all this visual data, they connect to the BIM model, and they say, hey, we noticed something. We think it's going to impact the schedule because of these field conditions. Like mm -hmm. you, should, you, should, you should watch out for this. And so I think for me, the next wave of construction is we're not only gonna see the gathering and enabling of frictionless information, but the use of technology, predictive technology to facilitate decision-making. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right on that for sure. Uh, in the this middle of kind of waiting for that uh, industry to to really un unfold and and take place and the technology to catch up to it, how do you avoid or that you probably can't avoid it, at least minimize the the information overload from all the data that's coming in from projects? I'd first say like there's no one solution. But I, I do think a key theme that would cut across all the solutions that could affect or minimize information overload is keeping things very simple. Uh -huh. um, I think, okay, I'll give you an analogy. When you write an email, you don't want to write an essay in an email unless it's like a CYA email for like <laughs> in the future. And if it's too long of email, I'm not reading it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, if it's too long of email, you're not going to read it. You, first of all, you're not going to understand what it says, and you're definitely not going to remember what it says. So, and I think like writing a good email can be—it's really important. It can be difficult for people because they don't want to focus on on writing the email. I think the same can be said for construction. And I think a lot of the software out there today um, is good, but it really focuses on housing the information. It doesn't focus on accessing that information, kind of like that email, right? It's like, how is, the, how is my reader going to read this thing? Like, I, I put all the information in there, but you don't think about how are they going to actually access the important pieces that I want them to. Yeah. And so to, to avoid information overload, I think we'll have to think about 
how people access information and making that really, really easy for them. And, and um, basically, how, how do you access documents in a really, really easy way? Yeah. I, no, I, I love that. Because, uh, you know, even from a communication perspective, there are certain pieces of information that are a better fit and translate better in different mediums. And so I think it's incumbent on somebody to know this piece of information needs to go over here on this channel. This piece of information is, is different. It needs to go over here on, on this channel. And this is how it's kind of best understood and everybody can grasp it and find it and know where it is. And I think having those clear lines and swim lanes, if you will, are, that's a big help. And, and I think even <laughs> what's kind of funny is, you know, projects are more complex. And like, if you, if you look at, uh, if you look at on a job site, a foreman's trying to install like a light fixture on the mm -hmm. fourth floor, and there's probably, you know, 40 of them <laughs> to figure out how to install that thing. They have to look at the submittal. They have to look at the equipment schedule. They have to look at like the reflected ceiling plan to figure out like how thick the concrete is and if they need anchors or not. There are so many documents you have to look up to answer that question that yeah. you have to make it really easy to just like run through these documents to gather all the information really quickly because ultimately they need to just get to get to the work and figure out how to do it. And if they spend so much time trying to just find the information, it's like you're already exhausted once you, once you found oh, yeah. it. Yeah. And the schedules are already ridiculously tight. They don't have time to go and sift through all that. Right. Yeah. I mean, the schedules are tight. So now the person in the field actually has to figure out how they're going to install this thing because the documents today are just, oh yeah, here's the light fixture go. But, but then it's like, okay, how are we going to get the conduit there? Like, how, how are we going to do everything? So yeah, um, I think it, it adds to the problem to, to your point. Yeah. Well, if you could innovate one thing in the industry, what would it be? It, it would be creating that technology for that that would enable prefabrication. Like I think I, I think I would want to play in the space of prefabrication, but I think to really the, the technology, the innovation I want to work on is how do you enable prefabrication to happen? Like it to have a streamlined process, it's not like it just happens. You need to have a really organized system that facilitates that that prefabrication. So I'd want to work um, I'd want to work in in the prefabrication space. Both because I think it's, it'll be hugely beneficial for construction, but also because I, I think it could have a huge impact on making buildings more sustainable as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for those who aren't familiar, what is Dato and, and how do people get a hold of you and find out more information? <laughs> Good question. Um, so Dato, Dato, you can think of us as your um, automated document management system. We also like to say we're the, we're the Google search for construction documents. So if you're trying to, to look up all these documents, you can go to Dato, type in or, or say a natural language search and, and find what you're looking for. And if, if you want to uh, reach out, uh, greg at projectdata.com, you can feel free to go to our website, projectdata.com or, or um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, Greg, last question for you. What does innovation mean to you? <laughs> All right. Um, so innovation, what does it mean to me? I, I we, we've kind of talked about this during, during the podcast today. I like to give the example of um, the Dyson vacuum. <clears throat> so they went through five plus years of development and like 5,000 plus prototypes. And that's a lot of failure. That's a lot of failure along the way. Now it's really successful. And, 50 plus countries. And so for me, 
innovation is the generation and execution of new ideas. But really what it is, is about the willingness to fail and pushing through that failure. Yeah, that's great. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Greg. I, I appreciate it. Those Thanks. great perspectives on innovation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.